Today's class is called Spiritual Preparation for the Holidays, so that includes singing. Absolutely. Um, I'm also going to talk about some of the things that I spoke about at our Teshuvah workshop three weeks ago, and we're recording it. We're, I am on video, and uh, that's to see if it's when it's done, whether it's something that's worth sharing. But none of you are on video. No. And this is Diane. Yeah, yeah. Diane, this is this is digital. Oh right, anything. Right. I could like I could like create a pan of the room and have it be uh, you know the 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 uh, U.S. Congress. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So let's let's uh, look at the song sheet that I handed out, and on the right side, the one called "Return Again." Return again, return again, return to the land of your soul. Return again, return again. Return to the land of your soul. Return to who you are. Return to what you are. Return to where you are. Born and reborn again. Return again. Return again. Return to the land of your soul. Return again, return again, return to the land of your soul. Return to who you are, return to what you are, return to where you are, Return again, return to the land of your soul. Return again, return again, return to the land of your soul. Return to who you are, return to what you are. Return to where you are, born and reborn again. Return again, return again. Return to the land of your soul. Yes, Thank you. All of us. So that word return in Hebrew is lashuv. Lashuv means to return. And um, 
in noun form, return, is teshuva. Right? You take the root, lashuv, to, 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 to return. You use Hebrew, you build off of verbs. And to make it into a noun, it's the word teshuva. And teshuva is the uh, central feature of the high holidays and of the month leading up to the high holidays, the idea of returning. So let's talk about that concept a little bit first. Returning means that you had turned away from something. So the question is, what are you returning to? In that song, you're returning to the land of your soul. But the, the, the idea is that there's a destination, there's a direction, there's a place to which we should be pointed. And that we get turned away from that place. And this time of year is all about an individual and collective turning back towards, towards what? God. Towards God as you understand it. That's right. Towards the path you want to be on. Your higher selves. Bill? To who you really are. To who you really are. If we only knew. <laughs> <laughs> Our best. Our best approximation of who we really are. Thank you, Tevia. <laughs> right. Who we were. Oh, so there's an interesting. Yes. Here's, thank you, Tevia. Yes. Here's, here's an interesting who you really are to who you're supposed to be. Now, that's an interesting distinction, isn't it? Because in Judaism, there's no question that we all have a higher calling, that there is some place that we're headed that there is a moral order in the universe and a conscience and consciousness in the universe. That is the assumption of Judaism to which we want to be turned towards and with which we want to be aligned. It's not a neutral choice. Right? We have a choice to not be aligned with the moral order of the universe. Or if that's not the way you play, with your deepest conscience? Where does our sense of what's right come from? Where does our sense of being flushed with embarrassment when we know we've hurt someone come from? Now, there are some people, as we know, who are missing some wiring, some neural wiring. Uh, you know, the world of uh, psychopathy and sociopathy, we know that exists. And that's a different question. They're missing something, right? They're not better than. There's no Superman there. They're missing something. And the rest of us need to figure out how to keep them from harming the world. But any one of us who have a conscience, that's who we're talking about. Right? I guess you could say the exception proves the rule, uh, rather than the other way around. Uh, however, because we're humans, we have free choice. And we can lose track of our conscience of the higher order of the universe, of what we know is right, and we can lose it in bit by bit. We can fall off the edge. We have to get back on the wagon. It's not easy. But it is the task of being a righteous human being. It's not only a moral task. It's also a soul task. 
right? The assumption is not just that, oh, I made a wrong choice, I need to make a right choice. That is critical in all of this. But it's also that there's something deeper with which we're aligned. That the universe is on this, you know the way the, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. That the universe is on the side of love flowing, generosity, justice. That is our assumption. Where is our proof for that? There is a kind of proof. The kind of proof is our inner experience when we feel aligned with those qualities. Right? The sense of rightness. It's not something you can pin down, but it is our benefit in doing the right thing is more than just having done the right thing. It's that we can allow the love of the universe to flow into us and through us. And we are now not a channel resisting that, but a channel trying to incorporate it and bring it into the world. That's the holy work of being a human being. That's rising to our higher purpose. All of that is in the um, quality of teshuva. So I'll be repeating some things that you heard me say a few weeks ago, but my goodness, <laughs> what else is there to talk about? So, so one of the beautiful telling ways in Judaism uh, is the way Hebrew works for understanding how Judaism and the Hebrew language conceive of the self and of our place in the universe. And the Hebrew word for sin, as many of us know, is the word chet. Uh, chet, tet, aleph. Chet, tet, aleph. Well, I have a board here. I'll use it. Chet, tet, aleph. Um, well, I'll tell you one sweet thing that Abigail Lansman uh, pointed out. Chet is eight. Tet is nine and all is one, meaning chet adds up to 18, which is the equivalent. <laughs> so we could say that chet equals chai. In other words, if you're alive, you're going to make mistakes. I like that. Isn't that nice? Um, but the beautiful thing about the word chet is it comes from the word, the root, the verb to miss, the target. So, lahti when you shoot an arrow, lahti means you missed the target. So, implicit in the word chet is an action, not an essence. Okay, this gets right to the this gets right to the heart of whether of original sin or not. Are we irredeemable? No. Go <laughs> samata. Let's let's make that into a cheer. <laughs> Then that is, that's like Levi Yitzchak up in the heavenly court speaking to, you know, on behalf of his, on behalf of his community, you know. You know, are we irredeemable? No. Will you forgive us? Yes. Do we get another chance? Yes. It's also, we try to help our children understand when we distinguish a behavior that may have missed the mark as opposed to a child being the essence of that child bed in any way, right. because that's so detrimental. It's amazing how, e I'm sure each of us here incorporated the idea that we were bad. Like, and our parents loved us, you know, it's like, but it's so difficult 
uh, to distinguish between uh, training someone about their behaviors rather than about their essence. Um, but Judaism is very clear about it. Uh, in the morning prayers, we say every day, Elohai, Nishama, Shnatatabi, Tahorahi. My God, the soul you have implanted in me is pure, meaning unsullied, right? Uh, not corrupted. Uh, however, people can get pretty damn corrupted. We know it. I mean, we don't even have to talk about it. So, as they lose track of why, you know, what game they're playing here, what, what, what constitutes a victory in life, you know, if you ha don't have a spiritual orientation, that is, and I use the word spiritual with a small s, an orientation beyond material gain and towards some sense of uh, our interdependence and that uh, uh, what you leave behind, what's the song? The love you leave behind? Um, oh, oh. Yeah, that's right. something like that. Yes. Anyway, um, so the word chet means a miss. The word tshuva means to return. The word so that means that you missed, and you get back on the path. You can do it. Mishovav is a backsliding. Right, or is sliding off the path, or is the slippery slope. Well, that word is used over and over. The Torah uses it over and over for the children of Israel. Uh, and, um, but you can always return. And then there's the Hebrew word for aim, to aim your, uh, aim your arrow again. And that word is lechaven. Uh, that means to aim. And the noun form of lechaven is kavanah. Okay, so kavana, which, which means intention. Intention is kavana in its, if you look in the dictionary, but a, um, a more fundamental description would be aim. What is your aim? It fits, right? What's your intention? What is your aim? I just think it's so beautiful that the word for our intention in life is, our, is, is, is an action verb for to aim, and the word for a sin is to miss. Mm. I think that's <laughs> crucial, and that's why Hebrew's, Hebrew's great here. Right? So if you aim and miss, you do teshuvah, and then you aim again. And the more you practice, the better your aim gets, and the more times you can hit the target. You will always miss. If someone has taught you to shoot at the wrong target, you're in big trouble. Because then, if you've spent your life shooting at that target over there, and it has led you to a place of misery, misery suffering, harm to others, uh, um, a sense of emptiness, well, you've been practicing in that direction a long time. So then, returning still assumes that you were once on the right target, hmm. that, you were, that you were meant to be aligned. But you have a lot of practice to do to, <laughs> to get your, your bow in the right direction and release it with the right force. And I really like that. 
So that's why in Jewish spiritual practice, kavanah is the central activity of Jewish spiritual practice, is setting your intention before an action. And in some cases in my life, as I like to describe, I'm good at it. And I can pretty much just drive the car. In other parts of my life, I'm terrible at it. I have at some point finally been humbled enough to become aware that I'm terrible at that. And I have to really aim. And I have to check my aim continuously. Right? Diane? A teaching I heard years ago that um, I liked a lot was um, no matter how far you have traveled in the wrong direction, how many steps you've <laughs> taken in the wrong direction, you only need one step to, go, to be going in the right direction. That's right. And, and those teachings... It's beautiful, thank you. And those teachings are right in, are in the Talmud. In the metaphor used in the Talmud is as far away as you go from God, if you turn around, God's right there to meet you. Right? If God is everywhere, as it were. So as far as you travel in the wrong direction, when you reorient, your, you, your teshuva is in, totally engaged. Thank you. Jay? Um. You, you, you talk about doing the right thing as if it's an easy choice. Yeah, right. Did I? <laughs> well, That's well, what you heard. Well, as if there is a right thing. Uh, uh, right. Just, just let me conclude. Absolutely. You, you're really talking about ethics, and, and, and if you remember the ethics classes you might have taken, there's an action, I'm just going to say two, just, just to sum up, because I'd like to know the Jewish yeah. ethics. Because one we could look at for the greater good. But sometimes you do bad things for the greater good. And I could give you numerous examples. I mm -hmm. mean, in, in the ethics, maybe you heard the trolley car in which there were three guys on the track and one guy here and a few yep. people think the same yep. one. That's a, very, that's a struggle. Yep. Or, or, um, or and the, 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 the other one is like what, what Descartes spoke, spoke about, in which there's universal things, thou shalt not kill. Yep. All right, or, 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 or you could even look at the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not do this. But sometimes you kill for the greater good. Yeah. And that's where the struggle is. So yep. is the Jewish, and I think one is, so is the Jewish approach to do acts for the greater good, or are there really doctrines you stick to regardless of how many people you kill? Um, the, uh, my, my teacher, Ira Eisenstein, Rabbi Ira of Blessed Memory, uh, called Judaism a 3,000 year discussion of ethics. <laughs> it's because if, if there was a cut and dried right thing to do in every situation, life would be simple. But there isn't. So another way it gets talked about is that there is such a thing called justice, but only in the uh, supernal realms. And all we can do is approximate it here in, in our world because our life is so complicated. So the short answer is that the other way the rabbis expresses, express it is that in every generation, we have to figure out how to apply the idealized ethics of the Torah in our situation. I mean, rabbinic law, for instance, the, the commandment do not, thou shalt not kill is not thou shalt not kill. It's thou shalt not murder. Lotertzach is not thou shalt not kill. It's thou shalt not murder. And then the question is, what about self-defense? What about times of war? What about... And, and Judaism, what do you think the Talmud is? And then every 
every commentary on the commentary on the commentary. It's a discussion about, okay, here's the core principle. Thou shalt not murder. Here's core principle number two. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean in this situation? Does it, what does it mean in this situation? So you could say that Judaism is, is preoccupied with what ethics really is, which is situational ethics, which is what, in the situation you're in, you have your ideals, and then how do you apply them in the situation that, that you're in? So, so there's no contradiction there at all. And uh, there's this beautiful teaching from the Sfat Emet. Let me share it with you. So the Sfat Emet is a um, welcome. The Sfat Emet is uh, a Hasidic rabbi from, yeah, pull a chair over. From uh, late 19th century Warsaw. Really brilliant teacher. I'm only going to read you uh, a tiny bit. He's talking about how the tzaddik, the righteous person, always stands between two paths that branch off right and left. And uh, the fact, and, and even the most righteous person, I'll paraphrase, even the most righteous person who has ascended to a very high rung of discernment and connection to, to uh, God and ability to see the other person and respond to them in an appropriate and soulful way and to be righteous, even they, it says, who have ascended to the highest rung, uh, says, this is also the reason no one should become too proud for having ascended some rung. For in that place, too, there will always be two paths. But this is how the righteous earn their blessing, by ever choosing the right path. So Judaism is real clear that this is a lifelong, endless process. Judaism says it. on one hand, it can be this, and on the other hand, it can also be this. Well, the other thing we're describing that is that we never know until, in retrospect, whether what we thought was a righteous action actually was for the greatest good. Mm -hmm. We never know. So Rabbi Akiva said, everything, the way he said it is, everything is foreseen, by the Ebishter, by the, you know, the, the, big, the big eye of the universe. The, yeah. Everything is, everything is uh, foreseen and free will is granted. In retrospect, how long do you have to wait for a retrospect? Five years? 500 years? Exactly. Or one minute? Or 500? Exactly. So, in other words, we have to act in a way that constitutes our agency as contributors to the world. In, we may look back at our lives and say, the thing I thought was the wrongest turned out, look how that happened. And then, you know, right. the reason I love Rabbi Akiva's statement is he doesn't, he doesn't say either or. He just says yes and, because that's life, right? My grandfather, blessed memory, you, you know, <clears throat> when he was quite old, he, he liked to tell me that. He said, we don't really know. What you think you did for the best turns out this way, and then the thing you know didn't matter at all, made all the difference in the world, and you don't know. Yeah? So 
So two things I want to bring up. The, one of the hardest things for me, and I adore movies, this movie I've only seen once in my life, and I don't know that I'll ever see it again, is Sophie's Choice. Mm. To me, that is the pinnacle of what we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. And I struggle with that so much. I, obviously, not in the same circumstances, but it's, sometimes it just feels like that. Yes. Yeah. You know, as Jews, our minds always turn towards the Holocaust as the kind of um, um, the ultimate the ultimate case, horror, horror. right? And the ultimate, like, but what about the right. Holocaust, right? And then when you study different righteous people in the Holocaust, um, who was the man, uh, oh, I'm forgetting his name, who ran an orphanage in, oh, in yes. Warsaw? Wrote all the books, yeah. that's what the name. Um, anyway, so he decided. Yeah. Uh, there's a beautiful statue of him at uh, Yad Vashem. I'll think of it later. He decided to keep his orphans in good cheer and together and singing, and he went to the gas chambers with them. Right? Was that the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do? Uh, and, and then somebody else decided to crawl through a sewer and throw a grenade. You know, was that the right thing to do or the wrong? Goodness gracious. Let's just hope that society doesn't degenerate in our, I mean, it's generated in Syria, it's degenerating all over the place. So in those situations, in extremists, we're just going to try to figure out the right thing to do. But I would never be so self-righteous as to say what it is. So I want to say the second thing I wanted to say was, do you think, it's been my experience, and do you think that there's something mysterious that comes to create something to balance that or to evolve that or you mean in the biggest picture yeah. oh my answer is only i don't know <laughs> you know i just read uh joseph Telishkin's biography of the lubavitcher rebbe mm. and one of the things to, one of the many things to the lubavitcher rebbe's credit that came up over and over in the book is that when anyone would ask him why the holocaust happened he would say i don't know mm -hmm. yeah. god bless him you know, yeah. for us to make up a reason, like, for well, why the Jews deserved that. or So my answer is only I don't know. Yeah, obviously not that. But in terms of what gets built, I don't know if it's, I don't know if there's dots connected between the state of Israel and the Holocaust. I don't know. And yet, it's a question. It's a question, but it's not a question I want to... Um, Hold on, it's not a question I want to um, uh, dwell on because I'm more interested in each of our own behaviors. If it's a question that is um, uh, torturing someone here, then how, the question is, how do we re since we don't know the answer, how do we relieve them of their suffering so they can get back to being yeah. a loving presence in the world and not a tortured one? That's the question for me. Yeah. Honestly, the big question is unanswerable. Yeah. Yeah. No, so it's one soul at a time, yeah. one person at a time, so they can be the most productive, righteous, mm -hmm. loving people they can be. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. Yeah, these mm -hmm. giant questions mm -hmm. are worth contemplating. Mm -hmm. But at the time of Rosh Hashanah, mm -hmm. it's, it, we really focus on the self. We really do. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really all I wanted to say, what you just said. <laughs> that, that, you know, that the big 
most of the time in my daily life, in my daily life, the issues are not, I'm not faced with what do I do about the refugees from Syria. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm faced with how do I behave toward the person who's standing in front of me right now. That's right. And, and it's the ways in which I, as I pay more and more attention to that, I discover the various parts of me that are not loving. Right. And that I need to do something about. Right. Where are, the big project is me. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> but, but you know, getting back to, to, to what you said at the beginning, first of all, I agree with that 100%. Do what, what's in front of you, without a doubt. But I, I just wanted to mention, um, um, if, we, if we're all going to do what's in front of us, we have to follow our own conscience. And, we, and, and, and that, then my take of the situation is, um, I don't think you can ever grow a conscience. I, I believe, honestly, you're born with a conscience. You can see the little kids, you can see them. And, and if you're born that conscience, and it's the different degrees of, 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 of um, compassion or ethics, then everyone's going to react differently. So I think if we're going to get in touch with ourselves, we need to follow that our own conscience in all these ethical issues. And as you said before, some people don't have a conscience, and some people are really um, close to God, say, as for lack of a better term. Yes, and Jay, what I would add to what you're saying is that Judaism is countercultural in this regard in America because you don't just follow your conscience. We have a 3,000 year inherited, intense, incredible conversation about what the right thing to do is. And in order to follow your conscience, you align yourself with a community of people who are seeking what it means to do the right thing, and you don't just take your own counsel. Do you follow what I'm saying? No, I'm not. Okay, okay. So, um, yes, each of us has to follow our own conscience, but we are incredibly malleable and socially defined creatures. Yes, we have a deep, ingrained sense of what's right, but so much of what we think is right is determined by the people we hang out with. We are, not, we are not the individual agents quite to the degree we think we are. That's part of the American mythos, uh, that we're on our horse and we're going to all by ourselves and we're going to figure out the right thing to do. The Jewish way is we're going to sit in a room and we're, you're gonna, you're gonna, we're going to talk about it. And we are not going to come up with just an individual opinion. We're going to come up with a majority opinion and a minority opinion, and we're going to make decisions not just trusting ourselves entirely, but trusting the wisdom of the group and of the tradition. Hmm. See, I'm just expanding the idea of finally it's each with our own conscience. Yes and no is what I'm saying. And that's very hard for uh, uh, um, um, tr people trained in the American civil religion and mythology of individual autonomy to grasp. We are, not, if we are not actually autonomous to the degree we think we are. That's my comment about what right, you're right, saying. Right. But, but I agree with what you're saying, but it, it, it may not be two different conversations. I mean, it, it, it's not two different conversations. They both happen at the same time. I'm that's right. right. That's right. I, mean, I have, when I, because I'm committed to playing this game of being the most, m most moral and ethical person I can be, I find people who I trust. And when I have a problem, I talk to them, more than one, to try to ascertain what the right thing to do is amidst my internal Sturm und Drang of, uh, uh, you know, 
And that's all I'm saying. It's like, no, it's not just my own conscience. It's, uh, and, and that we are fooling ourselves if we don't think we need good counsel and a, a wise tradition to support us. And I'm not necessarily preaching to you, Jay. No, no, no. I follow what you're saying. I call that a sanity check. If you, if you, if you get good. a mirror, you get somebody, you want to mirror yourself, you want to mirror your actions. Yeah. But, but I, mean, I mean, this is a long conversation, so I don't want to take up too much time. But I see it as two different, in other words, you could follow your conscience and follow a community thing and uh, get, get, get input from a friend. You could do it all. This and I'm recommending it. Yes. And you're recommending it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm recommending yes and and. Yes, and I agree with that. Okay, good, good. The people have been waiting patiently. Yes. So I just want to say something on behalf of the month of Elul and this Jewish journey that we're on. That going back to the Kavanah and the idea of realigning ourselves in a direction that you know, we, we throw the word Jewish tradition out so easily. I ask, we, we modern Jews believe in human rights and justice. But when we talk about tradition, the whole encompass of all of it, be it the Torah, which is another word that encompasses it all, our prayer life, our calendars, are the GPSs of our people that help to realign us. And that besides the speaking to someone else or getting a sanity plea, that when we're talking about returning to our soul, to our essence, that these thousands of years of this magnificent living tradition is our modern and ancient GPS for getting us on some track that makes sense. Right, so for example, by participating in the Jewish cycle, of time. One is, right now, and I have been this whole month, spending my time particularly immersed in where have I gotten off track and what do I need to do to get back on track. So I do it all year round, but now in a Jewish community who I have, a, I have company and I have a focus and I have a deadline. And that's what I mean about using your tradition. Not just, it's not just a thought tradition. It's a living way of experiencing time and how we move through time. Um, Carol. Well, I just I, as, as most of you know about my prison work, and um, so that so often comes up for me in these classes. But but I'm I'm working with a group of men who who learned uh, a shadow Torah as children. Um, and they learned that was their moral compass, and that was the way they they were taught to behave in their lives. And somewhere along the line, in prison, not even just having been sent to prison, but you know, 10, 20 years later, they start to realize that that moral compass was was false, was a sham, and they start the people that I work with. I, I can't speak for the whole prison population, but the people that I work with turn. Mm -hmm. And it's not, obviously it's not Judaism that most of them are turning to, but it's, it's, it's how to live in the world and be the best person you can be. That's, that's, that's the way that they would say it. Make the, the best, 
the most contribution that they can make. And the pull watching that is so extraordinary. The, 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 the pull to, from the, the original teaching to what they know they want to do the, and, and, and having the um, privilege of being in on, on that process gives me such a, a wider sense of, of, of what it is that, that we're talking about here and, and how fortunate I feel for having started here. And not everybody gets to start here. So, so maybe part of the, part of the here as opposed to here or uh, here, no here, oh, here. Yeah. Here. here. Oh, okay. Uh -huh. I, well, I, I mean, with in Judaism, in, uh -huh. in whatever form of Judaism, gave me my first view of the world, hmm. um, uh, or my understanding of constitutional America gave me my view of the world, whatever that was. Um, because as many struggles as I have, I don't have that kind of struggle. I, I, didn't, I didn't grow up in a world that was so different and asking such different things. So if, if that helps me have compassion, Torah. huh? What do you mean by a shadow Torah and that they were <clears throat> taught? Of One guy said to me once, when he was seven years old, he was looking out of the window with his father at a gang war. And his father came up to him and put his arm around him and said, in a couple of years, you're going to be able to do that. And that was a source of pride. That's the worst thing I heard in, in, in that whole place. That's the worst thing I heard. And he grew up thinking that was the greatest thing that he could do, and that was an that was a, an honor a, 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 an honor to his father. And he was he was imprisoned at nineteen, and just recently got out at, at forty nine. Thank you. Um, well, there are plenty of plenty of ways to uh, grow up in a nice quote Jewish family and still yeah. Uh, of course. Be trained in the, uh, okay, so, uh, yeah, so let me be clear. <laughs> Judaism is not the only path. No. Uh, and it's a path that uh, is a path made by people and followed by people, so people can skew it in all kinds of directions, too. Uh, what we're talking about is, I believe, and I think Judaism trusts and posits, that each of us, in fact, does have a conscience and is connected to the higher consciousness and a spiritual path worth it, worthy of its name is one that is encouraging, supporting, and sustaining that path, as opposed to a different one. So that's what we're doing here. It's a few days before Rosh Hashanah, and people who take the Jewish liturgical cal calendar seriously enough to engage with it, as you all do by showing up today, this is what we focus on as we come to the new year. Um, I like that there's a holiday where, where anyone who wants to actually do it uh, has this opportunity to, to focus on Teshuvah. So let's parse the word Teshuvah. For people who came in late, I was saying that Chet means to miss the target, Lachti, and Kavanah comes from Lechaven, which means to aim, and Teshuvah means to return. Now Teshuvah also means Lashiv, 
is to reply. And a teshuvah means a reply or a response. Teshuvah also means a return. And teshuvah is usually translated in 20th century English as repentance, right? A word that uh, never lived for me. You know, a word that I would read in the prayer book and it never lived for me. I mean, as I'm older now, I understand repentance better, you know, and I'm not so, but something about it in the 60s and was not, like, cool. Uh, anyway. Uh, I think that's right. So then I looked at what repent means, and it means to rethink. Penser is to... Penser. Yes. So repent means to rethink. And we talked about how penitentiary comes from the root to think. You know, you're being sent off to think about what you did. Now, if it was rehabilitated, rehabilitative, as you found a little pocket of people who are paying their, paying their debt to society for the crimes they paid and have found a way to actually repent. In, so they're getting what would be the best of a, a penitentiary. Bob? One of the ways to To rethink. Mm-hmm. You have to, before you can return, you have to return from something that you're repenting. Right. Of. You have to be aware that there's something. So, so the first, so teshuva could be broken down in this lovely way into repent, which means rethink, become aware that something was wrong. If you're not aware that you did something wrong, then there's no action to be taken. You're still going to keep aiming in the direction you were aiming. And then to um, return, which you could say means realign, you know, realign with your preferred intention. And then there's the meaning of tshuva, which means to respond, which means to actually take, take an, that, that's an, a very active it's an action. And again, the beautiful thing about respond is that it implies that something's calling you. Mm. That's why I love that word. Mm. So teshuvah, which means a response, means that there had to be a she'elah, a question. Mm. In Jewish law, a she'elah is a legal question, and the response, the tshuva is the legal responsum, right? So, but just a she'elah in, in plain Hebrew is a question, and someone asks you a question, you give them a tshuva, a response. Mm. So the question, what's the question? And in Jewish tradition, the question, the core question is in a, lot, in a beautiful stream of Jewish teaching, is the question God asks Adam and Eve in the garden. Right. Adam and Eve know they've done something wrong. They're feeling shame. And they hear God in that beautiful image walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hide. And God says, Ayecha, where are you? And especially the Hasidic teachers say, now what kind of question is that? God knows where you are. So they say, because the question isn't, where are you? I'm hiding behind a tree. The question is, where are you in your life? 
Where are you in your heart? Isn't that beautiful? Mm-hmm. And so the question is Ayecha. In Jewish, because of the love of wordplay in Judaism, Ayecha re... Um, um, Reboots? No, 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 no. Revocalized is Echa. Echa means woe, alas. And is the beginning of the book of Lamentations, the book of Echa, which is Revan Tisha Ba'al. So, Echa is alas. No one answered the question. I, the question was Ayecha. And the answer. So the question, Ayecha, what's the most straightforward answer? And we know, Hineni, here I am, present, right? That's the answer to God's question that the heroes of the Torah answer, that Abraham answers, no, that Moses answers. So the question the universe is asking us in, story, in this story form is, where are you? <laughs> And the response is, here I am, ready and willing to be of service to you, life unfolding in every moment and in every way I can be. That's the overarching response. Then we are left with the lifelong privilege and challenge of figuring out what that means in every given moment. But the question is a cosmic question. It's the cosmic question the universe asks, where are you? And what Judaism posits is that there is a question out there calling to us, right? It's not a neutral universe in the Jewish spiritual realm. It's a neutral universe in many regards, I'd say. Volcanoes are going to erupt, you know, all kinds of crap's going to happen. We're going to get hit by a bus, God forbid. Things happen, right? And in that sense, no, there isn't a moral puppet master in the sky. On the other hand, there's on the spiritual level, not the one that guarantees that life's going to go well for us, that we're going to be safe, that our loved ones are going to be okay. No guarantees. And yet on the spiritual path, there is a question the universe is asking us. And the way we respond to it will then help determine how we navigate life. Will we hide behind a tree? Will we, you know, mm-hmm. now, I'll, I hide behind a tree sometimes, but the question keeps coming. It's there at every generation, in every moment, walking through the garden in the cool of the day. Where are you in your life? I love that story, that, that reading of that story. So the response is also connected to the word, as we know, responsibility. It's a beautiful English thing, isn't it? That responsibility is your ability to respond. So implicit in the English take on this word, if you're a responsible person, it means you're able to be in a situation, say here I am, and have a response to what's going on that contributes to the well-being of that situation. That means taking responsibility. Mm. I love that. Let's see, there were a few hands. Uh, I, just, I was thinking before when we were talking about conscience, yes. the other thing is being responsible. Being, you know, that you have to take responsibility. So you do, you know, you need to have that 
back and forth, people you mm -hmm. respect and know. You need, you can follow your conscience, but it's not just in a vacuum because you need to take responsibility and do what needs to be done. And it's, you know, sometimes paradoxical and it's not so clear cut and you're right. not sure what you're doing, but you know, there's that, there has to be that balance of doing what you think is right, but not just what you think is right yourself on your own by yourself because responsibility is about how you are with other people responsibility which means responding to something that's being presented to you is is in its in its essence dynamic mm -hmm. right it's not mm -hmm. it's not a fixed point it can't be how could response be the same response <coughs> to every situation it's not a response then. It's a rigid uh, it's it's a it's a rigid behavior. Pattern. It's a it's it's a pattern, however you want to describe it. So implicit in Teshuvah is dynamism, is the understanding that the question is going to be different at different times, that you're answering with your soul, with your with all yourself. Susan? Well sometimes responsibility would be saying no to something that's presented to you. Of course. You know, no is a response, everybody. No is a response, yes. I, I was recently with somebody who was saying, I don't know, it was kind of a spiritual conversation. In Kabbalah, in Luriana Kabbalah, yeah. That um, it really makes sense to me that then perhaps people that are in some of these horrible situations, perhaps they are heading off for some other. Here's here's what I have to say about that. If if no 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 no. If 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 being committed. No no no. There's no should in this. It's like this is like why did the Holocaust happen? It's like this is beyond our ken. And so, if a belief in reincarnation helps make you a better person, yeah. go for it. Yeah. Really? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. My, my theology is completely pragmatic. It's like, if you have a belief system and it's making you better at responding in love to the people around you, God bless you. You know, even if you don't believe in God, whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, I am not committed to a theory about reincarnation, about it. I love thinking about it. But, the, but for me, the value of, uh, of a um, theology or a, a belief system of things we can't, we can't, um, uh, we can't verify is if it makes you a better person or not. Of whatever they are. I mean, we all experience losses. That's part of life, and 
um, that they do make us stronger. Mm -hmm. um, they somehow do help us evolve in some way. Let me, let me say, my conviction is, is that the universe is calling to us in some mysterious way and that something's being asked of us to respond to. That gives my life a sense of direction and purpose. Am I right? Am I wrong? I don't know. I don't know. I have a deep inner conviction, but I don't know. But fortunately for me, the Jewish tradition supports that conviction and makes me a more humble, hopefully flexible, righteous person. In, and so, so, yeah, so a conversation about reincarnation is always really fun for me. And I love thinking about beyond time-space continuum and maybe they're all happening simultaneously. <laughs> and I, I love that kind of conversation. Um, and I, can, I love it. And I'll love to have it with you sometime. Um, it has nothing to do with teshuva unless it is helping you respond to life in a richer, fuller, more dedicated way. Um, so, yes, Carol? Just a question. Um, it's occurring to me that the next question, I think, is am I my brother's keeper? That's I'm right. Wondering, I'm wondering if there are a series of questions throughout the Torah that, yeah, might, that might be like touchstones yeah. in that way. Oh, that would be a beautiful piece of Torah, <laughs> wouldn't it? So, the first question in the Torah to Adam and Eve is, where are you? The second question is to Cain, who says, and where, God says, where is your brother Abel? And Cain answers with a question. Am I my brother's keeper? And God says, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. Now, we've talked about in the past how the entire book of Genesis, uh, Peter Pitsley wrote a book called um, um, My Father's Wells? Something like that. And he talks about Genesis as a tale of a sibling clan sort of moving through. Um, but drawing from him, I, I came to the understanding that you could look at the entire book of Genesis as that question hanging over each story, <laughs> over the story of Cain. Cain and Abel initiates the story as the first two siblings. And then we uh, come to Isaac and Ishmael. And then we come to Jacob and Esau, where it really gets played out. And then Rachel and Leah, yeah. who uh, are competitors. And then Joseph and his brothers. Mm -hmm. And Joseph answers the question. When his brothers come wow. mm -hmm. to uh, Egypt and they need food, and he's trot. It's not an easy answer for Joseph, is it? When you read the Joseph story, he, is, he wrestles with this. Mm -hmm. And he finally realizes, reveals himself to his brothers and says, all of this happened for some purpose. And uh, all of this happened for some purpose. You selling me into slavery, me coming to, so that I could be here to save your lives. And don't worry. So Joseph gets the answer, which is that somehow, not only yes, you're your brother's keeper, but in addition, all the shit that happens to us there's, is there's a reason for it yeah, there's a in order to fulfill 
our answer to the question, to, to test us and try us and bring us to this moment. So yes, the whole book of Genesis can be construed as a question and an answer that gets asked at the beginning and then failed to answer until the, the, the end. And then, it, as we've talked about this, Moses and Aaron have a very different relationship. Mm. They're the next mm. sibling pair. And we only see a, a rupture once when, Mo, when Aaron and Miriam speak against Moses in the book of Numbers. Uh, um, uh, but besides that, there's no hint of, um, of the kind of rivalry that preceded it all through the book of Genesis. It's an interesting story. Carol, I'm sure, I mean, um, Gail, I'm sure you've thought about that a lot. For me, actually, the entire, the other four books are also a larger response to that question. I agree with am you. I, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is yes. Love thy neighbor as thyself. That's right. Love stranger as thyself. And you're going to travel steadily, yeah. and you're freeing yourself from its rhyme to get at least to the edge of the promised land where you can, are beginning to really take this in and act by all these precepts that I'm putting into this, that's in this book. I, I, I truly think that that, is the, and that that is a true deep reading of the narrative of the Torah. And first comes, where are you? The first question is, where first, are you? But that, to, to go with what you just said, I'm taking, let's say Joseph, Number one, I have to repent and rethink. I have to rethink it first. Right. I can't hold it in this victimization or whatever it is that allows me to be separate from. I have to rethink. Separate, blaming, yes. resentful. Then the second one is the realignment. And what you said is uh, bring it back to your preferred intention. I've heard that healing, I heard someone say that healing is bringing something back to its original intention. So if I think of that, and that that is after I rethink, that brings me into a healing space with it. The third thing is responding, and that's the action of what you just said, of responding with love, loving thy neighbor as thyself, and all of that. That's the response. So I see this as an amazing practice. Yes. Yes. These nice. three things. Yes, beautifully put. Beautifully put. Uh, please, Gail and then Pauline. Because I've come more and more to see the whole Torah as talking about, I mean, all of Judaism is talking about constant practice of discernment. Where am I in this moment? Yeah. What's going on in here that's yes. affecting how I behave? Yes, and if I'm down the rabbit hole, then I can't rethink. Right. Exactly. So that first question of where are you it's really is the important. first, where am I? What's going yeah. on here? Oh, nicely put. Yeah. There's yeah, nowhere yeah, yeah. to go if I'm not, if yeah. I can't say yeah. here I am. Yeah. Then I can't, nothing happens. No, nothing. Mm-hmm. Pauline, you want to share something? And then Jerome? I say to say to make it more complicated. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is too, <laughs> this is too simple. <laughs> this is a one, two, three fix, you know? Um, <laughs> The, right, the, I, I'll write a bestseller. The three, the, the three steps to the seven rules of yeah. Seven minutes, seven minutes or less. So, so to think about then, and the Torah gives many examples. But what what keeps what keeps us from that knowing or understanding? Where do we get clogged up? 
Where do we get clogged up? That's a good question. So I, so I, don't, I think the Torah asks it in different language, but they say, why, where do we get clogged up? But um, so I'm thinking of the issue that I know Gail's done a lot of teaching on this, um, though, that, it, that, that as Joseph understood, these things happened for a reason because it led me this and this and this. That's hindsight. And and the question of does everything happen for a reason, I don't even want to go there because mm -hmm. it's you know beyond. But what we do with that is really, really important. And so the issue comes up of Gail, one of Gail's favorite issues about um, forgiveness because holding the resentments, holding on to um, angst or whatever you want to call it, I think is one of the things that gets us clogged up. And that, that's a whole other basket of problems. And so and the question is, so how do we answer the question of how do we get um, the, the feminine plumber in to de-clog so that we can get realigned? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to address that. Uh, Jerome, you wanted to say something? I just wanted to come back to what you said at the beginning. Shouldn't the first question be, who are you? Ah, uh, <laughs> the first question, who are you? I can't answer that unless no. I know where I am. No. Well, no. Well, it, it, sure, why not? Well, who are you keeps changing. Well, I would say... Who's the you? Okay, so the spiritual, from a spiritual perspective, who are you is a crucial question because you remember that you are not a separate individual, oh but you are part of the continuum of, continuum of life. Mm -hmm. And if you can remember that you're not a separate individual, you can start to let your ego grip go towards a greater idea of how am I going to serve all of life through me, this particular and unique expression of it. So I think who are you is a good question. Let me read from Rob Cook a little bit. Um, uh, Rob Cook has that perspective and says, for example, when one forgets the essence of one's soul, when one distracts her mind from attending to the substantive content of her own inner life, everything becomes confused and uncertain. The primary role of tshuva, which at once sheds light on the darkened zone, is for the person to return to herself and to the root of her soul. There, she will at once return to God, to the soul of all souls, because the root of your soul is an expression of the oneness of all. Um, uh, I'll read a little more of that. If one should envision that they sought to return to God without setting themselves in order, this would be a deceptive repentance through which God's name would be taken in vain. It is only through the great truth of returning to oneself that the person will return to their creator to be illumined by the light of life. Uh, that's a nice way of saying it. Um, I'm going to find one other little bit. Uh, Teshuva emerges from the depths of being, from such great depths in which the individual stands not as separate entity, but rather as a continuation of the vastness of universal existence. That's the quote I was looking for. The desire for tshuva is then related to the universal will, to its highest source. From the moment that the mighty stream for the universal will of, of life turns toward the good, 
Many forces within the whole of existence are stirred to disclose the good. So this is his feeling that as we, the question of who are we? Well, from Rav Kook, the mystical perspective and the Jewish perspective, we are expressions of the, of the vast consciousness of the universe. If we lose our sense of separateness from that and realign ourselves as just expressions of that, then universal energies line up to fill us and support us. Um, we're not a lone soldier of righteousness. We are fed. You know, when you think about the tzaddikim of the saintly people, you know, who's, what, what, what keeps, where, where are they filling their gas tank from? Right? They're not doing it from their sense of grit and determination. They're doing it from a sense that there is a universal love. Interesting that, metaphor. Huh? It's an interesting metaphor in terms of filling gas tank with love. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but the point is, is that how do they keep going? How do they do it? How do they love all those people? How do, because they don't see themselves as separate. Mm. They see themselves as a conduit right. of energy that is vast, infinite, and that we are but a mere expression of, but that we are not just a mere expression of, we are a beloved and glorious expression of. So that's my, those, that's my sort of word, word picture to Jerome's question. Yes? So, just a quick answer and a comment to Jerome's question. It said also, ain't on any of you. If I am not for myself, who am I? And the word any of you, of course, means who, but it means me. So I think it just came to my head. Oh. He may not even merely from prepare both. I'm thinking about, um, you know, Reb Zalman talks a lot about this, that um, you, can't, you can't go run a teshuva marathon once a year if you haven't strengthened your muscles <laughs> and yes. worked on your <laughs> stamina. No, true. Yep. Yeah, yep. That's true. That's a great you know, metaphor. Like, You're going to be out of shape. Yeah. Right. So, so, yeah, right? Forget it. We'll all have heart attacks. Right. We'll never get to shore. So, so, you know, they, there is within our Jewish tradition so many ways throughout a day. I mean, why do we pray three times a day? God doesn't need to hear us three times a day. And, in between. It, it, it's really not for that. It's really a realignment. Um, Reb Zalman, may his memory be a blessing, talks about um, Yom Kippur Katan. And Yom Kippur Katan, which means a small Yom Kippur, a small time for Teshuva. And he talks about a great time before Shabbos. And he also talks about that the Shema that you say at night is a time of reflection and taking accounting. And why do we have all these things? Well, we have all these things, including learning Torah, including all the rest that goes with it, because if we don't keep those muscles toned up mm -hmm. in our stamina mm -hmm. and realignment, we can't, it's hard to come once a year and do it. You know? so yes, that's right. And not only come once a year, but that's why the month of Elul is here. In order, you know, you know it's like this: the the the, <laughs> the, to the, the big the, right, right, right. We're on the treadmill. Right, the big game is coming. <laughs> yeah. And get yourselves ready. Right. The way like, time to put on, <laughs> put on your put on your bikini. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dress for your 
daughter's wedding. Let's lose the weight real quick. <laughs> No, 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 no. I've no, talked about, I've talked about for many years this metaphor of uh, uh, if you're not um, living in Jewish time, and most of us are living some more, some less, uh, then, then the holidays come like a bubble yeah. floating towards you. And you say, oh, oh my God. the holidays are early this year. Oh, yeah. and, then, oh, and then you step, you let the bubble pass over you, and then it just goes on its way. So that's not bad, but it, you're not going to get the benefits of, pra of the practice of living in Jewish well, time. That's sort of, I mean, I think some of what has been said here uh, contradicts the, the image of no matter how far you've gone, you just have to take one step to turn around. I mean, even if you spend all year behaving badly, yeah, yeah all you have to do is uh, show oh, yeah. up and say, um, now I'm going to start behaving differently. Yeah. And even if you go back to behaving badly tomorrow, you know. Right, and that's a description of the, 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 the love of the universe is waiting for you whenever you turn. But then comes the hard work of yeah, keeping and facing in that yeah. direction. Yeah, it yeah. And Diane, I wouldn't, I, I get exception to saying behaving badly. I don't know that it's bad. It's right. maybe thoughtlessly. Un unconsciously. Right. Or uh -huh. unaware, unaware. Well, I have a couple of things to say about that, but let me hear what Susan wanted to say and Carol, and then I'll respond. Well, uh, somebody, when, when you mentioned about um, uh, being in touch with the love, that the saints are in touch with the love, um, you know, that they're connected to the, to loving everybody. Um, I, I was thinking that part of this, I think, uh, task, I don't know if I like this word task, part of what needs to happen for us when we are in the state of forgiveness is to really forgive ourselves and love ourselves because if we don't start there, then we can't really connect to Love Absolutely. Yeah, I want to speak about that a little. Thank you. Thank you. And Carol? Um, I'm at the moment in the process of directing a production of the Diary of Anne Frank at um, Manhattanville College, which is in Westchester. And um, almost everybody in my cast is Catholic, and there's nobody nearby who's Jewish. So I spent the whole first four days of our rehearsal kind of teaching things about Judaism, which was very joyous for me. But on, on, on the fourth day, I realized that I was in danger not only of forgetting about the, really, really teaching them about the, the joy part and, 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 and the fabulous traditions, because it, we were so engrossed in the Holocaust and so, we sat down and I said, could you tell me if you are aware of any time that your family has been discriminated against? And every single person had a story as deep and full as, as any of ours, from, from Native American experiences to Irish Catholic in Ireland to Greek and Cypriot to all these stories bookended by, uh, that is the way I think of the, the, the two ultimate horrors, 
a boy whose grandfather was a um, Polish Catholic resistance fighter and died in the camps, and and a, a, a girl's um, hard to say great uncle who was one of the founders of the American Nazi Party, and there we were sitting in this room together sharing all these experiences, all of us. So it wasn't just about the Jews. It wasn't just about this girl who lived, you know, 50 years ago, 60 years ago. It was really in, in those moments about us. And that, I think that goes back to, the, the, to me, the, the, um, the Rev Cook that you read in answer to Jerome's question that, that, that he seemed to get mm -hmm. beyond everybody. <laughs> um, I don't even know how to talk about it. I can only tell you what happened. But the, the experience moves on from there. Thank you. That is beautiful. And they're all sitting in the room together. All, we're all sitting there with such mm -hmm. love, with such care, such love. Oh, these kids are lucky, Carol. <laughs> oh, that's really great. Wow, that production's going to change their lives, I bet. I think so. Wow. Mine too. So, so let me introduce a couple more terms, Hebrew terms, that are going to keep filling this out. So I think we've done this, this really useful thing of saying that Teshuvah, breaking it down into its English components to rethink, first of all, is called in Hebrew and is the activity we're supposed to engage in this time of year in particular, Cheshbon Nefesh. Cheshbon Nefesh, which literally means self-accounting. Cheshbon Nefesh is a self-accounting. What's a Cheshbon in modern Hebrew? It's a check. Give me the check. Give me the Cheshbon. Cheshbon uh, is math. Right, so it's literally an accounting. Um, a bill. A bill, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, in other words, a cheshbon nefesh is, to, is you, you do your counting. And you, so it's a practice in, in clear-eyed, undefensive, uh, uh, um, accounting, uh, but there's another word I'm thinking of. Um, uh, assessment of your actions, of where you've done well, of where you've gotten off track, of who you've harmed, of who you're bearing resentments against. And that is a huge part of the process of teshuva. Once you have engaged in a self-accounting, and, uh, uh, and again, this is, I, who are the best people for me to do my self-accounting with? You know, it's like, it's someone who loves me, right? Find, find the people who, who my, my friends who love me and who are going to look at me both with clarity and compassion. And this is where the forgiveness part that, that, that Susan uh, was mentioning is. So we know that uh, uh, these are known as the days of awe or the days of judgment, right? Yom Kippur's other name is Yom Hadin, the day of judgment. Um, interestingly, so Yom Kippur, in in sort of folk, the in in our in our in the folk religion, 
that what we know about Yom Kippur is people trembling and weeping and begging God for forgiveness, right? And in the, in, in the steeple in, in Europe, that was frequently the tone, was fear and dread and awe and trembling before the judge of all, right? The interesting thing about it is, and we've talked about this in past years, is that at the end of the Day of Judgment, what happens? We're, we're all forgiven. We're all forgiven. In the, in the prayer book, Salachti Kidvarecha, I forgive you. Now, go out, Kindalach, and try again. Right? And the way the rabbis talk about that is that there's the, the justice seat and the mercy seat, the, the mercy compassion seat, right? You know, which seat is God sitting in, as it were? Which seat are you sitting in, as it were? And the, the, the point here is that there are many different midrashim that explain that if God's strict justice outweighed God's compassion, humanity would be destroyed in an instant. That's the truth, right? We, 95% of us know what the right thing to do is. <laughs> and yet. Uh, and so uh, uh, the idea that this is the day of judgment is in fact true, but it's judgment over, over arched by compassion that we're going to be forgiven. So the way we have to approach this process of cheshbon nefesh is not with, a, not with a sledgehammer to beat us down for all the ways that we missed the mark. But it's rather to rethink in as clear-eyed a way as we can where we've missed the mark and what we need to do to realign ourselves and get our aim back. Amy? Um, I understand what you're saying in relationship to looking at yourself and, and, and um, uh, understanding where your aim may have gone off. How does that apply to relating to people who, who, with whom you had a problem and you, and you want to forgive? Right, right. So our goal and this is my own coinage, because uh, is to incline ourselves towards forgiveness, right? Because you can't, you can't legislate it. There are a lot of little things that you can let go of, right? In, in my experience, like many times when people apologize to me or when I apologize to someone else, it's like, what? You know, I didn't even notice, you know, and that's a beautiful thing that so many of those can just sort of like wash away. But if, if I want to forgive someone, remember uh, Diane brought in a line that's gotten wide uh, circulation since then, which is forgiveness is giving up all hope of a better past. <laughs> Have you heard that before? <laughs> forgiveness is giving up all hope of a better past. <laughs> just love that. Um, I just had to say that. All hope for a better future that you have a problem with. Right, but forgiveness is giving up all hope of a better past. And that, it's like it happened. So, but anyway, I love thinking about that because we're spending a lot of our time wishing things had been different, wanting them to have been different. 
Um, so my goal is to incline myself towards forgiveness. If I, in that, in that rather than incline myself towards holding on and gripping the, um, the complaint. And then in my experience, sometimes I'm ready and sometimes I'm not. And that's out of my control. For me, the, um, the formulaic, uh, trying, to, trying to bend myself into, yes, I forgive you, <laughs> yeah. No, all I can do besides that is try not to uh, make things worse. Be honest. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then when someone seeks their forgiveness of you mm. and says, I'm sorry, <sighs> incline yourself towards letting it go. But if it's fake, as I've learned, you know, from painful experience, because I'm trying to act like the person I wish I was, big trouble. That just, that's just, that's trouble. And in the meantime, my goal is to behave with common decency uh, until I can get myself to the place of genuinely. You know, I was talking to my brother. Our father died now almost 40 years ago. And, and it was, and, and we had a conversation recently, maybe one of the first we've had in years, and he said, it was, it, was, it was really hard on him. My, my dad, I've told the story, my dad committed suicide, and it was a, it was, it, you know, a suicide in that sense was an aggressive act in a certain way. And, and I had this conversation with my brother, and he, he said, it took me about 20 years. Yeah. You know? And I said, I understand. So, 20 years for what? Before my brother was willing to forgive my dad um, for abandoning us, essentially. Um, and uh, my trajectory was different, you know, 10 years. <laughs> um, and some people never get there, and then all we can do is say, if I was in their shoes, I might feel the same way. So uh, that's, my, that's my solution, is that we want to incline ourselves in that direction. Yeah. And I think that there are, maybe not for everybody, there either are some things in our lives or with acts of people that cannot be forgiven. And, and to do so w would not be at least a, a true essence, perhaps. And I found that, um, but that we can let go of the oh, okay. ourselves. That's a nice and distinction. One of the things Just let it go. And I've been able to do with situations in my own life is say, even if I say a Kaddish or something, okay, God, you'll do a better job with it than I'm doing or that I can God. do. Yeah, you true. And, and, and make an actual, either through prayer or through whatever, commitment to that, and that's another unclogging. Thanks for making that distinction. I'd forgotten to say that, um, which, which is that the, the, the main beneficiary, beneficiary when I need to yeah. forgive someone is myself. Yeah. Yeah. Because... I'm carrying the load around. Mm -hmm. yeah. right. So it, does, it, it almost has nothing to do with the other person. Right. Um, uh, and when someone asks for your forgiveness and you give it to them, well, hopefully that's, 
that helps them let it go. But you could have forgiven them, and they could still be beating themselves up. Uh, so yes, yes, I'm the main beneficiary of forgiveness, of my capacity to forgive. Yes, or to let go. There was an instance where I was asked for forgiveness, where I said I couldn't do it. Good. And that was when I was on the March of the Living with my, with my son. And we were in Auschwitz. And there were a group of nuns and the children they were taking care of, Polish nuns, to be there to show solidarity with the Jews. And one of the nuns came up to me and said, you know, I'd like to ask your forgiveness on what happened to your parents and your grandparents. Okay. And I said, I can't forgive you, but you didn't do anything to me. Right. It's not for me to forgive. Mm. It's for the, my grandparents were they alive to forgive. Right. I can't forgive you. Right. For right. I don't represent the Jewish people. <laughs> and you don't represent the Nazis, and it's, it's like, it's, it's an odd question. Uh, I understand, you know, when I was at this, um, um, uh, at this conference of Catholic and Jewish leaders in May, uh, it was the most contact I've had with, with Catholicism in an intense way ever, I think. And, um, Forgiveness means forgiveness plays differently in their um, in their um, worldview and how they approach things, um, and I can't speak intelligently about it necessarily. But it was, I suspect, based on that limited experience, that that she was speaking of she'd meant something different, uh, and I don't mean that one. Yeah, I'm with I'm on your wavelength with that. Uh, I actually I want to find out more about that. Uh, were there some more hands? Oh. <laughs> All right, I'll say a few more things. I'll say a few more things. So, in the process of teshuva, after the cheshbon nefesh, which is the rethinking, the self-accounting, and the realigning, the uh, returning to the path, then there's the responding. And the process isn't complete until we've done what we could to make amends, to redress. And that is, uh, yeah, well. It is. It's, it's, I guess they got it from that. Huh? Well, it's, I think it's human. Yeah. The Mishnah says, sins between, sins, so think of that word, missing the mark between oneself and God, Yom Kippur makes atonement for Sins or missing the mark between yourself and other people, Yom Kippur does not make atonement for until you have made amends with that person. Right? It, there is, there's no magic bullet. Right? If, you, if, you don't, if you don't do what you can to handle it. Now, how do you handle it? So this is very much like 12 steps, yeah. for those familiar. Maimonides and other Jewish teachers through the centuries laid out the steps of teshuva. And they vary, of course, but in the ways, but they're pretty significant. First is acknowledge the wrong, right? 
Uh, and, and that would be the first step. The second step is to um, figure out, is to apologize to the person you wronged. The third step is to figure out what amends you need to make beyond apology in order to redress the harm you've done. And then the fourth step is when faced with the similar situation, you do not repeat it. <laughs> right? And that, in a very condensed form, is Maimonides' sort of cycle of what teshuva is. You know, so you could again say rethink, realign, and then respond in a way that's going. So in other words, we, need to, at some, we also need to understand teshuva as changing our behavior. Did I bring Rachel Barenblatt's poem? I think I forgot it. She wrote a great poem about Elul, yeah. uh, which I read a few weeks ago, which said, here it is Elul again, and I'm writing the same list down yeah. <laughs> of the way that, yeah. like, yeah. okay, yeah. I'm going to keep going anyway. Yeah. And I've said over the years, I've done this listing of, and my intentions for the new year. And I'm pleased to say, I saved a lot of these lists. They've actually changed over the years. Yeah. It's really slow. Mm. But, <laughs> but, but some things don't come on the list anymore. And I also shared with you a few weeks ago a story that I learned long ago. Do you, you might remember it. It's called Autobiography in Five Chapters. <laughs> Chapter one, I'm walking down a street. I fall into a giant hole in the middle of the street. I don't know what happened. I'm desperate. I don't, I spend, I'm crying. I'm, I can't, I, I'm there for a long time. Finally, I crawl out of the hole and I keep walking down the street. Chapter two, I'm walking down the street. There's a giant hole in the middle of the street. I fall in the hole. Uh, uh, how did I get? Oh, I think I've been here before. I climb out of the hole and I keep walking down the street. I'm walking down the street. Chapter three. There's a giant hole in the middle of the street. I see the hole. I fall in. I get out as quickly as I can. I keep walking down the street. Chapter four. I'm walking down the street. There's a giant hole in the middle of the street. I see the hole. I walk around the hole. And I keep walking down the street. Chapter five. I walk down a new street. <laughs> and the process, there's going to be a hole in that street. Right? Uh, but you know how to walk down that street. That's sort of the way it goes, isn't it? So if we don't approach this with compassion, we're just going to make our lives so much harder with clear eyes, but with compassion. Mm. Gail? I, I just want to say, this, this is not tooting my horn, but I have to say it. <laughs> I'm glad. I, I've been Since offering, okay. I've started to offer um, workshops, three-hour workshops oh, on forgiveness for the places where we're stuck, either in forgiving or in asking for. And it's really a workshop on a lot of the nuts and bolts of how to get unstuck. Mm -hmm. So it's not just, it doesn't have to take as long Okay, right. That's what I'm saying. Coaching. Right. There are lots of particular kinds of interventions, both psychological and spiritual. And I've now given two workshops, and the responses have been really 
Gail's workshop was here last. This one was here. Uh, I just gave one in Rhinebeck. Just ten days ago. Yeah. Yeah. And Matthew has just asked me to do one at the church in Sagrades. No, no, no. Matthew's church. Not, not Sagrades. In Woodstock. Yeah. yeah on, on South Hill Road, right? That's what I meant. Um, so I'm going to be doing more of them, and and it's really, it's not a cure, but it is helping. What people have been saying is it's helping them get unhooked, and gives a lot of. Um, as I say, nuts and bolts that one can then work with. So I just want you to say that. Thank it's, you. It's really useful. And it has helped me in preparing for these workshops. I've done all the exercises, and I've been stunned at the impact it has had on my life. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Fantastic. So St. Gregory is just two miles down the road. When is that going to be? It'll be around Lent. We oh, that's the right time. Okay. <laughs> Diane, when are you, and you want to announce your challah baking workshop too? Mm -hmm. uh, yes, but first I want to talk about forgiveness. Mm -hmm. um, what's what I've really struggled with this year was really what I really worked on is, and it's helped me a lot is um, to understand that at each moment each of us has done the best we could. Yes. It might have been terrible. Yes. It might have been, you know, but it was the best that person could do at that moment. With whatever baggage they're carrying, with whatever, you know, grief or whatever, or you know, mm -hmm. conscience or whatever. They, that was the best they could do. Oh my God, that was the best they could do? Yes. Yes. At that moment, they could do better in another second. But right. at that moment, that was it. You know, for myself and for all the people who wronged me. I think it's the worst. Oh, Diane, thank you. Um, the Holly Baking Workshop is a week from Sunday at 10.30, but I would like to plug something else, too, that's more in keeping with what we've been talking about. The, the, the Congregation Task Force to End the New Jim Crow is doing another community book read of Michelle Alexander's book, mm -hmm. The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration, The Age of Color Blindness. But as I was one of the organizers of this upcoming read, I decided to put a little different spin on it, which the task force agreed with me. We're calling it a series of discussions on racism and mass incarceration. We're using the, definitely using the book. <laughs> but per, I personally, you know, since I've been involved in this work, I have so many questions about racism mm -hmm. and how to fix and practical things and I just have so many questions in my mind that I have to keep asking to keep doing the, the practical work that we're, that the task force is doing. And that's going to start October the 6th, 13th. 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 It'll be, be five Tuesday nights. And uh, I just want to tell people that it's not just like read the book. It's not like just a book study thing. It's we're, I, I hope to have a lot of really in-depth discussions here. It's going to be here. I'm going to, I'm going to get to lead the first one on the 13th. Okay. And I asked Bojelli Pluck, I saw him the other night, and he said he would lead one of them. So Great. Great. Thank you. Hmm? That starts on the 20th, on, the 20th. On, on Tuesday nights. You'll have to choose. Yeah. Tuesday nights, yeah. yeah. So, um, it's okay. Which is another, yeah. Yeah, the fly, we'll, we'll yeah. Tons of flyers. We'll get plenty of, we'll get all the word out about all that yeah. stuff. So if I wanted to say I'm yes. something different. Yes. Because tomorrow will be um, a year's anniversary mark for me. And I think it speaks to the the uh, miracle of returning, because it was a year ago that I had that back surgery where I was mm -hmm. crippled in a wheelchair for, for quite 
a long time, and, for, and really sick and in pain for a very, very long time. And they said it would take a year. Mm. And I just want to mark that in the spirit of returning. You never know what you can return from. Thank God. Wow. Boy, Pauline got a new lease on life. Yes. Wonderful. Blaze? Um, I've given most of you this little booklet called Jewels of the Lul. If you didn't get one, come and see me. I would love you to have one. Um, there's a guy named Craig Taubman who has a website. He's also a great musician. Called, yeah, he has a lot of music, called Jewels of Alul, and if you sign up every year on Alul, he will send you an email with an inspirational saying, and it's different every year. So this is his 11th year, so this book is a compilation of the best of Jewels of Alul over the last 10 years, and it's really wonderful. So I got a bunch of them because I wanted to share them with you. So may you be inscribed for a good year. What is your next class, Jonathan? Oh, okay. So my next class is uh, aren't we have Lev Shalem Institute has um, the festival of Jewish scribal arts coming up Columbus Day weekend. Uh, you'll learn about that. I'll be present for that. But we have uh, a we have like about ten or twelve women's Torah scribes coming together here for that whole weekend. My classes start the following week. October 20, the week of October 19th. And then we've got a, ho got a whole big semester. There are flyers out on the... Um, are we going to be here next Tuesday? Tuesday? They, they email if you click register now. I said there were two classes. Oh, uh, that, I'm sorry. There, we had scheduled a class for Tuesday. I mean, Thursday. Thursday. Yeah. No. No, okay. There's no class next Thursday. Until the 19th. Yeah, our classes, the classes are going to be on the Thursday, starting October 22nd. That's Jewish and Christian. It's going to be the Jewish Christian uh, class with me and Reverend Matthew Wright. Yeah. And if anybody came in late and um, needs to pay, I will be happy to.